When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. I guess what bothers me about the Bible is its realism. I know that's not always we think of either scripture or the faith or the church for that matter. Sometimes we're tempted to think of it in terms of the sweet by and by, kind words that preachers preach that produce nice people, a sort of useful shelter that protects us from the harsher realities of life. And in truth, words of Scripture do offer comfort, comfort to which we rightly turn again and again. And yet, well, there are these troubling aspects, bothersome questions, if you will. For example, look again with me at this great passage in Isaiah 43. What could be more comforting than to hear, when you pass through the deep waters, I will be with you. Or when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, the flame shall not touch you. Good news, indeed. Sort of like what we hear in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So what's the problem? Well, if you will excuse perhaps an irreverent question, let me ask, what the heck are we doing in the valley of the shadow of death in the first place? How did we get into these deep waters? How did we contrive to get thrown so close to the fire? Just a suggestion, but wouldn't it have been better to avoid such calamities in the first place? Perhaps only an American could ask such questions. In any case, only a comfortable, healthy, HVAC, doubled, inoculated, and boosted survivor of the epidemic with some money in the bank and a place to go for lunch. Only someone like that would dare to ask such an impertinent question. Other folks might not be so troubled by these words of Scripture. Indeed, might find them uh, quite familiar. If, for example, you were waiting at the border hoping to be let in, or if you were living in Syria in a refugee camp, or if you were in prison in Cuba or North Korea, or if you were just trying to eke out a living in Malawi, then the comfort of being rescued from deep waters or protected from burning flames might seem not a silly thing to you at all but rather an unspeakable gift. That's the thing about Scripture. It has a way of rubbing our noses in reality. Its story has barely begun when our first parents sought to escape from the confining pleasures and grace of God's love to seek a putative freedom apart from God. It didn't work out so well for them or for their children. And the story hardly advances at all before those children are killing each other. Scripture is no Hallmark card. And that's just Genesis 3 and 4. 
there's so much trouble yet to come. Isaiah is writing to a people who've been on the receiving end of a long story of losing. They've lost everything that they thought important. Their land, their king, their home, and they're tired. They're tired of losing, tired of not having. They're tired of being pushed around. Their questions are a bit more desperate than the ones we often raise. Their questions are these. Is it all over with us? Is our story over? Are we done now? Is there any future for us to be had? Are we, for all our complaints about the pandemic, or not in that situation at least, we are for the most part pretty well insulated from such harsh realities, or at least we think we are which is why we sometimes have such a hard time hearing the gospel or cannot really hear it until we've lost something important. Every real conversion, C.S. Lewis once wrote, begins with a great defeat. The people we meet in the Bible are people who know what it is to be defeated. A paradise lost, in the case of Adam and Eve. A home, familiar home, in the case of Abraham and almost his son. A brother, a home, almost two sons, in the case of Jacob. An innocence, in the case of Moses, who took another man's life. A kingdom and his son, in the case of Saul his own integrity in the case of David. And the list is not short. It goes on, including perhaps most of all Israel's own life, which fails again and again to keep faith with the God who refuses to forsake her. In many ways, it's not a pretty story. But it's one that does not blanch or flinch in the face of real defeat and utter failure and is not afraid even to name that. A story that is not afraid also, strangely, to speak of real comfort and real joy. The source of that comfort and joy can be found in Isaiah's simple words that he repeats again and again throughout this 43rd chapter. I will be with you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the deep waters, I will be with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Does that strike you as a strange source of comfort? It's not a nationalistic victory. There's no vengeful triumph over our enemies. No celebration of our own virtues and resources. No, just, I am with you. Can that be enough? Can that 
ever be enough? Have you ever passed through the deep waters yourself? Walked uncomfortably close to the fire? Spent some time in the valley of the shadow? I'm sure you have, and no doubt much more than I have. And you could tell me stories of what that was like. When our youngest daughter was five years old, she had open heart surgery in Houston. I don't know that she was old enough to be that scared, but her parents were. I can remember having some serious talks with God during that time about the road I did not want to walk down, the river I did not want to cross, the flame I did not want to touch. The night before the surgery, the surgeon's young assistant, a cardiologist who later became well-known in his own right, came into our hospital room to explain to us a surgery and to map it out on a diagram on a piece of paper for us to see what was going to happen. I was so scared that I didn't even know what questions to ask. But after he finished mapping out the surgery, he looked at us and could see that we were frightened. And then this young man, a man of science, a skilled medical practitioner, this man asked if we would like for him to offer a prayer. We were stunned. He was a doctor. But we were overwhelmingly grateful. And his prayer, not a long one or florid, but a simple asking for guidance, grace, and presence was enough. The deep waters were still there, but they didn't scare us so much, and the flames seemed for a while a little bit further away. Not all the stories of God's presence end that way, I know. And what's more important, Scripture knows that too. And the story it tells does not shrink from the darkness of the valley of the shadow. Its story leads to a very dark place, up a hill outside Jerusalem, on which there were three crosses. And in the center, there was one whose hanging there embodies the words, I will be with you. That is what the cross tells us. I will be with you. You are mine. I have called you by name. Now I'll admit that that scene does not look much like a victory. There are no guns or missiles. And the crowds, at least the ones that have not stayed to mock, have mostly fled. But that is the victory. It's not the one we wanted or have even desired. It's not the way we would have planned it. But for a world that lost its way a long time ago east of Eden, 
that is the way God keeps his promises, that he would never leave or forsake us and would not let even death itself as terrifying and lonely-making as it puffs itself up to be, not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. It is that victory we cannot escape, try as we might. And it's not just a victory that warms our hearts or keeps us silent. In the valley of the shadow, in the deep waters, walking by the flame, God's presence has ever taught people to sing. If you don't believe me, read the book of Psalms or listen to Paul in prison singing. These folks are full of trouble, just as they're full of music. The hymn we sang, Isaac Watts's rendition of the 23rd Psalm, does not blanch to speak of the valley of the shadow. When I walk through the shades of death, your presence is my stay. One word of your supporting breath drives all my fears away. How many hymns in our book were written by people who only had big trouble? Thomas Dorsey, the African-American musician who lost his wife as she was laboring to give birth to their son, sat down at the funeral home and hammered out his composition. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. How many have found in those words the sustaining presence and heard and felt in them the gift of I will be with you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And time would fail us to tell of Martin Rinkert, who during the Thirty Years' War pastored refugees in Germany and presided over 4,000 funerals, including his wife only to write, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. Now thank we all our God. Or Horatio Spafford, who wrote it as well with my soul, having lost four daughters as a ship foundered in the North Atlantic. What right do these people have to sing? What right indeed? I suspect they would be embarrassed to be called heroes or heroines of the faith or saints even. They were people simply in big trouble who had faith and who knew in the midst of deep waters and fiery flames what it meant that there was one whose promise to be with them had given them a victory not always easy to understand apart from the hill that had three crosses on it 
and the one whose love would not let them or you or me go. That is the reality that Scripture insists on rubbing our noses in each Sunday. I think that's actually why we come to church. Namely, to get a shot of reality, the reality of God's sustaining presence in the midst of a loud and all too unreal world. It is true, it's not a Hallmark card, this gospel, and it's not exempt from heavy burdens of trouble and sorrow. But it gives us each day one who bears our burdens and carries our sorrows and whose love will never let us go. And the gift is to be in his company. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.